Hello, fans of the Video Game Mythos podcast. My name is Ryan, here with episode 15 of the Video Game Mythos series. On the Video Game Mythos podcast, as you are probably well aware by now, we take a look at some video game myths, some video game legends and stories, and we turn open their innards and explore some of the nitty-gritty things that makes them what we love about video games. We are purely lore and story-driven, but with the name of the podcast brings the obvious truth that these can be myths. They might not be truths at all. In fact, they might be pure speculation. They might just be interesting concepts that we found on the internet. Which brings us to today's episode of Video Game Mythos. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit more of an interesting fable. This fable is brought about by one of the most revolutionary games of its time. This game is known as Shimu. This game was brought to the Sega Dreamcast in the year 2000. It was a groundbreaking type of game for its era. Not only did it feature open world exploration, but choices that you made had a large impact on how the story evolved, on how your character progressed. So let's take a jump into what could be one of the first ever dynamic 3D open world role-playing games of Shamu. Welcome to the gates of Sakurugaoka Park. Probably slotted the pronunciation of that, I'm really sorry. What better way to become more acquainted with where we are in the world than by listening to the native music of its culture? Shamu will definitely bring you that sense of foreignness, of foreignity. Sure, those two aren't words, and Michael will give me a hard time about them later, but I can always just modify some wiki page that makes them seem real. Either way, it's definitely the feeling you get when these types of tunes just flow so elegantly into your ear. But now, we will look at this story. Shamu is absolutely groundbreaking. Releasing in the year 2000 as an open-world, dynamic adventure game, you, the player, Ryo Hazuki, gets to choose what you want to do. You step out into the world every morning as you get up from bed, and you can go explore the towns, the native lands, meet people, and try to find out information about what you want to find out. But what is it that you want to find out? Is there something that drives you? Something that makes you want to seek what is out there in the world? Why, yes. Yes, there is. That's a good question. And that thing is revenge. You are revengeful. <laughs> Ryo Hazuki at the beginning of the game is dealt a little bit of a bad hand. As he comes home from school, he's a teenager, he goes to the dojo to meet his father and he finds that his father is confronted by some man in some really fancy green silk robe. This man is asking his father for what he calls a dragon mirror. His father says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Landi strikes his father. As his father is down on the ground, Rio stands up to Landi. Landi looks at Rio, and with one effortless kick, knocks Rio to the ground. Rio's father, now fueled by the anger of Landi striking down his son, stands back up once again after being broken by Landi's blow. As Rio's father holds his ribs, he walks over to a portion of the floor that lifts up. The board of the dojo lifts up and below it, 
is a green object with a red jewel in the center and a beautiful dragon pattern around the outside. It's not what we would call a mirror, although they do call it a mirror with English words. It's more of a jewel or signet that might be used as just a valuable trading commodity. We can assume because father was willing to hide this from Landi that it must carry some sort of value or must have some purpose. But as his father hands over the mirror to Landi, Rio's father is given one final blow and Landi's amazing precision in the martial arts world is able to strike down Rio's father and kill him. As Rio rushes over to his father's aid, Landi makes his escape. Rio, coming to his senses, is met by a servant of the dojo. The dojo servant implores Rio not to pursue Landi, that Landi is far too powerful for Rio, and Rio would be wise to avoid him. Rio is not that way. Going for nothing but revenge, Rio wants to see his father's life come to a point where it is admired, it is, it is done its honor, and only way that that can happen is in Rio's mind is to find out more about the man in the green silk robe, to find out where they went, what they were doing, and why they wanted this mirror. So automatically, the foundation of this game, the baseline, as we always give you in the beginning parts of Video Game Mythos episodes, is that you are engaged. This game is far more advanced than anything of its time, and you are engaged. This is an immersive 3D world with great voice acting, great character cinematography, and it's phenomenal to see such a foreign story have so much relatability how it can easily persuade our hearts into understanding the emotions of something that can seem so foreign to us. So now we look at what Rio does, who he goes out into the world and meets, what he does and how he comes to find his revenge. Unfortunately for us, that means we're going to do a little bit of digging. The only real lead that you're left with, as your father is murdered in his dojo, is the surrounding town, your neighbors, the Sakura community. And the one thing that you can inquire on is the car that Landi and his fellow henchmen left in. So that's exactly what you do. As the first day of your adventure opens up, Ryo steps out into the world, and you're kind of impressed with the level of quality, the level of explorability and open-worldness that this game brings. Interestingly enough, you start to talk to some of the neighbors, to some of the townspeople of Sakura and you ask them about the black car, and you come to find that there have been eyewitness testimonies of this car, and of where the car went. So, that leads you into more of a mystery to go to this place and find out more about what happened that day, about the people that murdered your father, and about why they might have wanted this mirror. Ryo Hazuki is a very diligent person who wants the best for his father and for his family. And as his inquiries from Sarakura to Yamano's end up actually bringing you to some pretty strange and 
pretty wretched places. You end up getting in multiple gang fights with what they call action time events, which are like those little things where something happens in a cinema and you have to press the right button at the right time in order for the right thing to happen. The concept that was applied in this game was revolutionary for its time. Not only did it make watching the cinematic sequences between different portions of the open world experience, these cinematic experiences required interaction, so it maintained a certain high level of interest. On top of that, the game's open world style is a lot slower than most people were used to nowadays. So going back and playing these types of games, the environment is a lot more immersive. It's slower and more deliberate. Since the camera and the player aren't flying through the world at such speeds where you're not able to perceive your surroundings, it does immerse you a little bit more into the culture, into the way of life. Uh, everything in this world is automated, similar to how Stardew has NPCs that get up on time, shops will open and close, the night and day passes. Folks, this happened in 1999. This game was released in 1999 for Japan, two, early 2000 for the United States and uh, Northern America, and kind of middle of 2000 for Europe. But this was a revolutionary game for its time, so I can't overstate enough how absolutely pivotal this game was for how gaming evolved in general. So if you're going to go back and play this, which they just released a remaster of Shamu and Shamu 2 on Steam and on PlayStation 4, then just understand as you're playing this game that the pace isn't exactly modern. You know, you got to take your time through it and it will be rewarded. There is such a robust character interaction in this game that it's phenomenal to think about this game being made so long ago. So let's talk a little bit about the stories in the game, the characters in the game, and why this is so foundational to how gaming evolved. One of the characters I'm going to talk about, which is actually the main character, Ryo Hazuki's main love interest through the game, which is Nozomi Harasaki. Nozomi is a very hot girl. Now, now that's not the word I should use to describe her. She is extremely attractive, but she's also fair. She is fair in the sense of, you know, her skin is fair. She is very soft. She's delicate. She's precise. And more so important about her physical attributes are her emotional and intellectual attributes. She is extremely wise and very compassionate for the well-being of not just her friends and her family, but also other creatures, animals, and there's some examples we'll get into here shortly regarding that. At the beginning of the game, you're exposed to her as she finds a dead cat along the side of the road, a car that was trying to go through the neighborhood at really high speeds, ran over a cat, and you meet Nozomi caring for the cat's young. The cat that died on the road was actually the mother of a kitten whose leg got broke by the car. Don't ask me how the logistics of that happened. I've been trying to imagine it for about 20 years now, and I still can't quite get the picture out of my head of a mother cat dying and a baby cat getting its leg broken. We'll move on. But Nozomi is there to care for the young cat who now has lost its parent. Similar to Ryo, as he is now alone in the world with no kin, no direct kin at least, Nozomi shows compassion and cares for this kitten, wraps its leg, and, and Ryo can relate to the pain that the kitten is going through. As Nozomi's delicate hand help, helps care and nurture the kitten back to life, 
Over the coming days and the coming weeks as Rio's investigation continues, conversations about Nozomi and your relationship with her kind of take a turn. Nozomi is from Vancouver, Canada. Although she is of Japanese descent, her parents moved out there before she was born. Her grandmother lives in Yakosoka, which is neighboring to the Sakugaku community. So she moved back here to be a high school student in Japan with, with her native lands. Well, after following your father's death, her parents are urging her to move back to Canada. So in different dialogues with her, she looks up at you and tells you that she's considering moving back to Canada. You two are undoubtedly in genuine love with one another, and all she's doing is trying to get a reaction. She wants to know if you care about that. She wants to know if Rio would be the one who would stop her from moving, and she is wanting to move on. Rio is pretty persistent that he's only there to find revenge for his family, to bring justice to the Hazuki family. Unfortunately for Nozomi, her triggers to try to get Ryo to react go without bearing any fruit. Let's talk about another dynamic of this, of this interaction. There comes multiple times in this story where Nozomi is, is trying to meet Ryo in the park toward nighttime. And two different instances, there were thugs in the park that were kind of bullying Nozomi. And she was often bullied in high school where Rio had stood up for her on multiple occasions. And that's kind of where that love interest started. Because as everyone else was talking crap on this hot chick, Rio is the one who stands up and who genuinely tries to care for her. So she sees that proactive, unconditional interest that Rio has played and continues to see it as now you, Ryo Hazuki, the player, rescues her time and time again. And what will she do if she would move to Canada? That doesn't stop her parents' pressure. That doesn't stop Ryo's tunnel vision goal of bringing justice to the Hazuki name. But that is the tragedy of this love. And later on in the story, you do find that kitten once again. It has all grown up. It has healed, it has grown, it is a very strong kitten. A symbol, very similar to how Ryo Hazuki moves on from his father's death, becomes stronger from it, and with that newfound sense of ambition or devotion toward the cause of revenge for your father and your family's name, Ryo Hazuki definitely has that propensity for giving a high level of commitment to his cause. It's inspiring to see how such a character can not only inspire, but can also make you reflect back on how we can make decisions that impact not only our lives, but the lives of others. So if you get that trigger, if somebody says that thing that they're looking for a reaction out of you, just be aware that there's sometimes where you must move on. There are some times when you must do what is right for you and your family. Because at the end of the day, it's not about who you're with or what you're doing. It's about what you believe in, what inspires you, what makes you want to get up and go to work every morning, what keeps that engine going and what keeps that fuel fueling your burning desire to continue. And I'll tell you right now, I know what mine is.
You guessed it. It's Video Game Mythos. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of Video Game Mythos Podcast. A pleasure bringing you this content. I gotta give a shout out to the suggester, the idea generator for this week's episode of Video Game Mythos is Mike Provoznik from Jane Lou, West Virginia. Mike, dude, when you suggested Shamu, I was floored. I've actually changed my schedule of ideas to accommodate because I had to do this one next. So shout out to Mike for the awesome suggestion. If you would like to be shout out in a next Video Game Mythos podcast, be sure to email us some ideas. Send over some requests. Even if you see me in passing, just pull my 13 Palm Tree shirt and say, listen, you got to do this video game myth. And then, and only then, will I topple over in an abrupt love to tell you that I appreciate you for watching Video Game Mythos. I understand that you don't actually watch this. It just sounded cooler to say it that way. I'm, I'm just kidding, really. It, it doesn't sound cooler at all. I think I said that because I'm an idiot. And, and you can make fun of me for it because I'll make fun of me for it, too. See you next week.